You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, today's show, what we want to talk about is Matthew chapter 6. And when you look at the very first verse here, it might be a little strikingly strange, depending upon your translation. For instance, you might read something like, Beware of practicing your righteousness. Or, depending upon the translation, you might read something like, and take care not to practice your righteousness. Of course, what does this mean that we should beware or that we should not? What is it that we're talking about practicing righteousness? Is this that we shouldn't practice righteousness at all? Well, by no means. Jesus isn't saying don't practice righteousness. In the context itself, Jesus is explaining to us what it means to actually practice your righteousness. It's not a righteousness that is to be practiced before other people with the purpose to be seen by other people. And so this is what Jesus is really getting at. And so today we want to talk about what it means to practice your righteousness. And of course, what it means to practice your righteousness rightly. Now, again, to be clear here, we're not saying do not do righteousness. Do not practice righteousness. Uh, In fact, that's what Luther was being slandered with in the time of the Reformation. The papists and those who were loyal to the Bishop of Rome over the scriptures would claim that Luther and his students, his teachers, were teaching, do not do righteous deeds. Don't do good works. Nothing could be further from the truth. And we see this very clearly in the scripture itself, where Jesus actually teaches us what it means to practice your righteousness. In a way, if you look at this, it's, it's Jesus saying, remember, when you practice righteousness, this is how you ought to do it. In other words, it's, it's a reminder to practice righteousness. Remember to give alms. Remember to pray. Remember to fast. Now, this is, of course, where you sit back and you say, wait a minute, we're supposed to be Practicing righteousness? I thought it just automatically happened. Wait a minute, we're supposed to be praying? We're supposed to be giving alms? We're supposed to be fasting? Well, here Jesus is instructing us. He's giving us a reminder. You see, in this life, because we have been conceived and born in sin, we have that corrupted human nature that is self-serving. It's curved in on itself. We don't need to be reminded to sin. We automatically sin. We automatically do the things that we want to do. We do the things that God forbids, but then we don't do the things that God requires. So we don't need to remind ourselves to sin. We do it automatically. But even as a believer, we are beginning to walk in newness of life. We're beginning to practice righteousness. And so whenever we hear Jesus, Jesus is always speaking to us tenderly. 
He's always calling us to remember. Because when we go before God, we're reminded of who we are in Christ. We are a new creation. We are to be his holy people. And so, therefore, we are to be reminded to practice righteousness. And in particular, here in Matthew chapter 6, what we're looking at is the practice of almsgiving, the practice of prayer, and the practice of fasting. Now, again, to be clear here, Jesus is not saying, beware of practicing your righteousness. Jesus is not saying, take care not to practice your righteousness. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is just like the same kind of slander that was given to Martin Luther, the blessed reformer, in his days, when those who were loyal to the Pope, the papist, would slander Luther by saying that Luther forbid his people to do good works, that Luther was going around forbidding people to practice righteousness and only do wickedness. Well, again, nothing could be further from the truth. All you have to do is actually listen to Luther, read what Luther has written, and you can know for certain and sure Luther never said such a thing. In fact, when he gives us the small catechism and teaches us about the Ten Commandments, when we go through the Ten Commandments, we understand that each one of these commandments is teaching us how we are to fear and love God so that we begin to do what he requires and we begin to refrain from what is forbidden. Now, therefore, when we look at this, this practicing of righteousness, notice that there's three very distinct categories that we want to talk about. We want to talk about almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Because, in fact, the medieval church took these three categories as the categories of good works. So, coming out of the medieval church, what Luther was working with is these three categories of what good works are. You have the category, for instance, of prayer. Now, so everything that fell under the category of prayer were the things that included the feeding of the soul. This was in the realm of spiritual good things, good deeds that were done in order to strengthen you spiritually. So they included praying, that is conversing with God through prayer, petitioning him, and it also included the reading of God's word. Because you can't have prayer where you speak without God's word where he speaks. That's that whole divine conversation. So the category of prayer was for the feeding of the soul. It was the spiritual well-being of the Christian. It was that in which you would meditate upon, you would study, you would contemplate upon what God has declared to us, revealed to us in his written word. So you'd go and you'd hear sermons, you'd go to Bible studies, you could read the scripture, you could sing the scripture, speak the scripture, and in that holy conversation, you pray to God. So prayer, of course, goes hand in hand, hand in glove, with the reading and hearing of God's word. So that's the category of prayer. Now, in the category of fasting, this was more in the physical realm. So fasting was the abstaining or in other words, it was the starving of the sinful flesh. This is where we would talk about the mortification of the flesh. Because the flesh itself is corrupted. The flesh itself, of course, wants to stay in this corrupted world and to walk in the ways of the world. So the category of fasting was how you mortify the flesh. It's this discipline of the body whipping yourself into shape. 
And, of course, you have the idea of fasting specifically being that in which you do not eat physical food. I mean, that's what we see most clearly in the time of Jesus in the wilderness, where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights after he is baptized. He refrains from eating the physical food, feeding the physical body. And so when you are abstaining and you're starving that physical body, it gives you the opportunity to contemplate the situation you are in in this physical world. It is a fallen world. It is corrupted. And in this life, we have this tendency. And of course, more it's more than just the inclination. We actually want to sin in our bodies. So this is a, a practice of self-control, keeping the body in check. So you say, I want this thing, but to fast from it is to abstain from it to refrain from it, the thing that your body desires in this physical world in a physical way. And so when you fast from something, you're denying yourself. You are learning to take those bodily urges and take them under control, to rein them in. That's the whole idea of fasting. So in this category of fasting, it would include not only refraining from eating or maybe eating uh, less or even not eating the things that you would like to eat, but then for this period of time, you abstain from it. But it would also include other physical activity, just engaging in physical activity itself or staying up in a vigil or wearing uncomfortable clothing. Those are the kind of things that were done in the Middle Ages in this category of fasting. It was a physical activity of training the body. So that as a human being, as a Christian, you are both body and soul. Of course, you're feeding the soul. That's the prayer. That's the spiritual aspect. But you are starving the body. That is the physical aspect. So that as a whole person in both body and soul, you are beginning to practice righteousness. That's the category. Now, the third category was the category of almsgiving. Now, of course, almsgiving includes more than just giving money. Almsgiving is the doing of good for your neighbor in the capacity that you can with your abilities, with your strength, with your powers, or maybe with your money. However, you can help your neighbor in your neighbor's needs. If your neighbor needs clothing, you could give your neighbor clothing. If your neighbor needs food, you could give your neighbor food. If your neighbor needs help, uh, whatever it may be in life, maybe a car that is broken down, you can help your neighbor. So in these three categories, keep this in mind. The spiritual category of prayer, the physical category of fasting, and then that third category of almsgiving is doing good works for the benefit of your neighbor. Now, the first two are basically benefiting you as a Christian, that you would grow spiritually and that you would learn self-control in the body so that you could begin to understand the power that sin has over you. It's not until you try to resist sin that you realize how powerful sin is and that you need a savior. So then you focus on the others. You're enabled to help others when you are spiritually strong, healthy, 
and physically strong, you are of a better advantage for your neighbor to do good works for their benefit. So think of these three categories in that way. Now, of course, Luther was dealing with more than just that. The problem with the understanding of good works in the whole Middle Ages is that good works were placed in the wrong category. Instead of being placed in the category of practicing your righteousness as one who is beginning to walk in newness of life with the help of the Holy Spirit, instead it was put into the category of justification. How one becomes right before God by impressing God with good works of fasting and praying and almsgiving, as if then God becomes your debtor because of what you have done for God, then God owes you one. So these were called the works of satisfaction. The idea is that when you sinned, you needed to satisfy the sin or satisfy for the sin by doing a good work. Kind of like a, a debit and ledger credit uh, system here, where you do something bad, it's a debit, and then now you do something good, and it's a credit to your account. But when you put that into the category of justification, how one becomes righteous before God in his sight, then you confuse things. Because then you forget that Jesus is the one who alone has made satisfaction for all sin in his body, in what he did in his praying, in his fasting, and in his almsgiving for others. He has done perfectly what we cannot do. Now, we'll talk more about that perfectly in just a minute, but let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 so we can begin to understand what it means to properly practice your righteousness. So here we want to see what it means to do what we are to do. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then... You will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So understand what Jesus is teaching us. Remember to practice your righteousness, but remember to properly practice your righteousness. When you practice righteousness, when you do good deeds, take care that you don't only merely do them in an external outward way. It's not about the outward appearance of things. If you're concerned about the outward appearance and how others will perceive you, then that's your reward. That's it. That's all you get, is others can see that you've done something externally. But that doesn't make you right before God. So practicing this righteousness does not make you righteous before God. Now, you might think it makes you righteous before others, and if that's your goal, that's all you have. As others might say, wow, that person is a really righteous dude. He practices righteousness. He's amazing. But that's all you get. You only get the praise of others because they only see the things on the outside. But Jesus is always trying to teach us that the practice of righteousness is not merely an external outward thing that can be seen. 
Instead, it is always a matter of the heart. That's why Jesus will begin this conversation about warning us to take care that we're not practicing righteousness just for the purpose of other people seeing it, the outward external act. Instead, Jesus will come back at the end of the conversation and say this is all a matter of the heart. For where your heart is, that's where your treasures are. The whole entire understanding of justification, being righteous before God, is always a matter of the heart. When God gives us his righteous law in what we are to do and in what we are not to do, so what we are to refrain from, those outward acts are not complete without an inward change of the heart. So it doesn't matter how many outward things you do if your heart is not right with God. Because the problem we have as sinners is the condition of the heart. We are corrupt by nature. In fact, we are enemies of God. Our heart is dead to God. We do not see the things that God sees. We see what is right in our own sight, the way we want to do things, the things that we want. And unless the heart is changed, a person cannot be righteous before God. And this is why righteousness is through faith alone in the person and work of Christ alone. And this is a gift, and it's received by faith. Faith is a matter of the heart. God is the one who converts the heart in the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is given to change the heart, to continually renew the heart to continually help us to begin to believe all the promises that are fulfilled in Jesus, all the promises that Jesus gives to us in his word. That we would have a heart that is right to God can only be accomplished by God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit to convert our heart to faith. When the heart is right, then the rest of the works begin to be done rightly. This is why the Holy Spirit says in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith it is impossible to please him. Or as a Saint Paul will say as the mouthpiece of God in Romans chapter 8 that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. To be in the flesh is to be an unrepentant unbelieving sinner. To be of faith is to be one who is righteous, a repentant sinner. Or to put it in a more crass way, Paul will talk about this in Romans chapter 2, where he says that a Jew is not one outwardly. In other words, just the sign of circumcision that you can see on the body. Nor is circumcision outwardly. So the true circumcision is not a matter of the flesh, something that can be seen externally, but rather, one who is a true Jew is one who is inwardly, that is a matter of the heart, circumcised in the heart by the Holy Spirit. Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that converts the heart. And this is why Jesus gives us his word. It's only through the working of the Holy Spirit with the word that the heart can be changed. So this is not just a mere instruction, remember to practice your righteousness, 
But this is Jesus speaking and giving the Holy Spirit so that in the heart, the heart can be renewed, regenerated, restored, and begin to walk in newness of life. Beginning to practice righteousness rightly. Righteousness that is done in deeds like almsgiving and prayer and fasting. So again, going back to Matthew 6 and the words of Jesus, when he says, take care not to practice your righteousness before others to be seen by them, he then begins to lay out these three categories we started talking about. And the first category, he says, is almsgiving. So Jesus will say in verse 2 that, therefore, whenever you practice almsgiving, so it's something that you ought to be doing, now, what is almsgiving? It's giving to those who are in need. And so when Jesus says, when you do it, you're practicing righteousness, but this is the way you should be doing it. Jesus doesn't say, do not give to the needy. Jesus is saying, when you give to the needy, do it in this way, but don't do it in that way, the false way. Well, what's the false way? Well, the way of the hypocrite. The hypocrite is one who puts others under judgment, saying that you're not doing it the way that I want you to do it, and you're not doing it the way that I do it. That's the hypocrites of the Pharisees, always putting others under judgment because nobody meets their standards. Nobody measures up to their whole understanding of what it means to be righteous. And that's a false righteousness. That's a works righteousness that they want to be seen by others. So Jesus will say, thus, when you give to the needy, when you give alms, sound no trumpet. Don't make a big deal about it. Don't toot your horn like the Pharisees do. That's what they do in the synagogues, in the streets, that they want to be praised by others. They want others to see what they've done. But this is a false understanding of what goods, good works are. In fact, these aren't even true good works. And so in the whole Reformation, in one way, you could say what Luther was doing was actually trying to teach us properly what it means to do a true good work, a good work that is in accordance with God's will. And where are we going to find that? In the written word of the scriptures, where God makes it clear what he wants from us as his people. Even more than that, not just as holy people, but as his adopted children, his sons, heirs of the promise in eternal life. And so God teaches us in his word what is pleasing in his sight. But the only way we can be pleasing in his sight is to be of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it doesn't matter how much things you do on the outside. If you're only focusing on the external so that you can be seen in what you do, that's all you get. You only get others seeing what you can do. Now, again, we want to be clear here. You cannot make God merciful. God is merciful. If you think that you can manipulate God and make him merciful toward you by what you do, that's called idolatry. That's an idol. That's a domesticated deity that you've made in your own image that likes the things that you like, that wants you to do the things that you do. But that's not the true and living God. That's a complete false God. You cannot make God merciful. You cannot purchase God's peace. You, you cannot buy God's blessings. You cannot avert God's anger by the things that you do. That's our situation. That's our condition. And so in this life, we have a heart 
that has been corrupted in the fall into sin. We have inherited this from Adam and Eve from the beginning. So from the beginning, we sin. We like to sin. We are enslaved to sin. But what Jesus comes to do is to free us from sin. Again, we don't need to be taught to sin, reminded that we ought to sin. We do that automatically. The devil doesn't have to tell us to. We do it without even his tempting will do it. But here we have the reminder of how we are to do this good work of almsgiving, the giving to others, the giving to the needy. That is, focusing your attention on what other people need instead of focusing your attention on yourself and what you want. And so you're doing a good work that's benefiting somebody else. As Luther would say, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. So this is that true good work of vocation, that place where God has placed you to be a blessing to others, to be of benefit for others. But if you're doing this merely to just gain benefits from others or thinking that somehow you've benefited God, then you are sorely mistaken. And this is the warning that Jesus is giving about how we are to be warned about a false practice of righteousness. So Jesus will put it in this way. He'll say, when you give to the needy, again, just the assumption you are, that's what you do as God's people. God has placed you in a place to be of benefit to others in a vocation, in a station, in a calling in life. God has called you to love your neighbors as yourself. And this is how you love God. But again, to be clear, we're not giving money to others so that God owes us, and in exchange, God is going to give us the forgiveness of sins, eternal life and salvation. We're not purchasing the peace with God. We can't buy God's blessings. It's a gift. God gives the gift as the Father gives forth his only begotten Son, the only one who is well-pleasing to him, the only one who did everything perfectly, who did all of the Father's will, who refrained from all that was forbidden, and who did all that was required. And so Jesus will word it this way so that you understand that when you give to the needy, do it in a way that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. So you're not even trying to impress your two hands. <laughs> right hand and your left hand aren't looking at each other going, wow, did you just do that? That's incredible. Do it so that you give in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then Jesus moves from the almsgiving to prayer. When you pray. So again, the assumption is you're going to be giving alms. That is helping others in need in the way and capacity you can which is more than just giving money. Let's also be clear about that. But then Jesus goes on and says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, those who put others under judgment. For what do they do? They have a false practice of righteousness. It's not really even good works at all. It's only good in their own sight, and they think it's pleasing to others. So they stand and they pray in the synagogues, and they love it, and in the street corners. Why? So that others can see them. And Jesus says, then truly, if that's it, if that's what you do, then that's all you receive, the reward and the praise of others. But instead, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret, he sees, he knows, he will reward. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Again, we can't make God merciful. We can't take God's ear and pull it down to us and hold it open by the way we say something or how many words we use when we say it or impress God with our elegant speech. Instead, it is our Father in heaven who wants to hear our prayers. And for the sake of Jesus, we have a high priest who stands before the Father giving us access so as those who have been justified, we now have peace and we have access with the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. And then here in Matthew 6, Jesus gives us his prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It says, Our Father, because he prays with us as our high priest. And then he connects prayer to fasting. It says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, those who put others under judgment. As they look to see what others are doing, they want others to see what they are doing. Fasting for the optics without faith will do you no good. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening. And may our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.